0: Don't you hate it when you're trying to unlock a repressed memory and the only way to do it is to just keep killing women wearing wedding dresses? I am fascinated
1: by the idea of repressed memories. Do I have any?
0: You wouldn't know.
1: They're repressed. How would I know? I I mean, luckily, I don't know. I don't have anything that that has yet, tr- that has been triggered by wedding dresses and the sight of blood and knives and maybe mixing them would create some kind of memory jumpstart. I, I don't have anything like that. No, I, I feel like I just don't remember things i don't feel like there's any repressed things like i just have a good I, I'm, I'm good at forgetting stuff
0: i for one hate it when that happens i just think it's so annoying when the only way that i can grow as a person is by just killing other people Ugh, getting my hands dirty what a mess how many more do you think it's gonna take before you find yourself Um, I don't know. It's definitely going to take a lot more. (laughs) But on that note, (laughs) let's say I do (laughs) to this honeymoon. (laughs) Ding dong, ding dong, wedding bells are ringing. I say I do. Uh this is Necromancer. I'm Shira. Necromancer. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm Shira and I like rom-coms. What do you like, Brett?
1: I really like horror movies.
0: You don't say. And
1: specifically, I really like Italian horror
0: movies. Oh yes, this has been well established. Among the horror movies that Brett loves, Itali- the Italians really top the list. What do we do here at Necromancer? I suddenly have no words. Uh,
1: is, is our podcast so traumatic that you have repressed the premise of it?
0: Yeah, I'm going to need to kill you to understand what we do. Uh,
1: Well, I will gladly be that sacrificial lamb. Uh. Here we go. On this podcast, we pick a theme, and then Shira will pick a rom-com based on that theme. I will pick a horror movie. Not only do we review those movies, but we remix the movies. Remix? We turn that horror into a rom-com, and the rom-com into a horror. We have a bloody good time doing it.
0: Oh, it's just a hatchet of a good time. Um, I that's not an expression, and I can't even believe I tried to make that a thing. <laughs> um, Stop but... trying to
1: make fetch happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't I can't make hatch happen. Uh so last week we did my pick, Marry Me, for the theme of weddings. And this week we have another fiance contender. It's Hatchet for the honeymoon by our good friend, Mario Bava.
1: Oh, what a fantastic movie. <laughs> um,
0: so as I... an, oh, as an Italian horror fan, I have to ask, Mario Bava versus Dario Argento. Who's winning in a fight, and who's winning in a filmmaking fight for your heart?
1: Well, I gotta say, uh, Dario Argento wins. Um, i i i think deep uh, deep red is is a movie that will always i'll always remember fondly for really being a movie that like was a a concrete pillar in how i i view and love movies um it was just so great uh but also go ahead
0: I, I will say that this movie had shades of deep red in it, where both movies have a killer who's dealing with a traumatic past that they're trying to understand.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Jalo as a as a whole has a lot of that in it. Um, so... A lot
0: of mobby issues. A lot of Italians and their mamas big time big time mama mama why you no hug of me no more um mama you... <laughs> why you marry a newer man sorry nobody in this movie talks like that i just had no. to do it <laughs>
1: <laughs> they, um, when you suggested weddings, I really took the idea of weddings seriously. I didn't want to just do one that was like, oh, we're married now. So now it's a marriage movie. I appreciate I wanted to that. Do wedding.
0: Yeah. I, I appreciate that you did that. Uh, and so, and you, you did the assignment. Well, you I had, I had, colors.
1: Two, I had two immediate options available one, ready or not, which I did see in theaters and is a very solid, fun. Thrill ride roller coaster horror movie. So, definitely recommend. Two, and I'm glad, so glad the internet agreed with me, is when I was doing my typing on Letterboxd, the Shira method, using Letterboxd. And you using used the Google. Shira method? I nice. used Google and Letterboxd, but I did Letterboxd first. But a lot of the internet for horror movies and weddings, Beetlejuice came up.
0: Oh, there is a wedding scene in the movie, and the... It's a
1: big part of the plot of Beetlejuice using Lydia as a, a way to escape the underworld. Yeah, it's...
0: Yeah, and there's yeah. kind of a double wedding moment where the exorcism has them going into their wedding clothes. Yeah, um, so... Yeah, no, I mean, honestly... Beetlejuice could work for so many different things. It might have been a good choice to to leave that one in the can as something to consider for later. I
1: love Beetlejuice. Right. Well, Great if movie. I didn't find a good one, I, I would have but I think after we watched Marry Me, you were like, Well, what movie are you gonna pick for the horror? And I was like, I gotta do a little bit more thinking. But I did think I mentioned like, you know. The Italians probably have a good horror movie based on this. I
0: remember you did say that.
1: Yeah. And so when I was looking up the list, Hatchet for the Honeymoon came up and I watched a trailer for it and was like, all right, Mario Bava, wedding, podcast, let's do it. And I was not disappointed, man.
0: So tell me, what do you know about Mario Bava? Because I feel like I know a little bit about Dario Argento. I'm well acquainted with him and his daughter and several of his movies, but I just don't know hardly anything about Mario Bava.
1: I, I mean, I don't really know anything about his personal life or anything. I just know that like Dario Argento to me is kind of the face of italian horror or the, the director of it a, of a, yeah he's 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 my go-to guy when i think about it but mario bava really is the guy who kind of like as you like to say he he walked so argento could run but it's more like mario bava full out sprinted so dario <laughs> argento could like
0: skip into the scene
1: yeah <laughs> it's it's just nuts um blood and black lace is a mario bava movie that i watched because of deep red and that was another one where i was like oh shit this is like an entire genre of movie and again we explained what giallo was in the when we did italy but giallo is just italian horror I I don't know how else to describe it. It's just like you said: a lot of mommy issues, a lot of serial killer stuff, a lot of paranormal stuff, a lot of spiritualism, a lot of awesome music. <laughs> uh, the synth soundtrack in this thing is fantastic
0: oh just, yes what is it yeah. so I mean there's of course Giallo but what is it with the Italians and scoring films they're so good at it Nino Rota, Ennio Morricone Goblin uh, they're all great at it um, I i think I wrote down who does the score for this movie um, Romatelli is the name oh. of the person? Yeah, the Romatelli score is delicious, Uh, but yeah, it just there is something about Italian film composers; they just understand how to score music to a movie really well.
1: Oh yeah, they they get it. The music is a, an an integral part. It's not just uh, a lot of times when people mention like, oh, the music is you know so manipulative and it's trying to make you feel this or that like yeah when when you're trying to do this um underscore of like underscoring an emotion into a scene it can feel very manipulative and groany and you can i i sometimes do feel repulsed by it right like everyone else like oh but oh,
0: well, listen was, it's very saccharine and they're like yeah. really trying to pull out the sentimental emotions. I feel but like, this isn't
1: wait wait this isn't underscoring the movie. This is like overscoring the movie. This is like the music sometimes becomes the main momentum set piece and the music kind of are the the images are kind of secondary. It's
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I great. I feel like like the music is kind of almost this consistent background music that plays over the events, almost in contrast to them. Like the music yeah. is so mellow and and seventies and lush, and yeah. then it's like, oh, here I go we're killing again.
1: But also, it's not like a Hans Zimmer score where I'm going oh, God, out of my no. way to. Oh, God, long.
0: I would well, hate but, that. Hans, well, no, Hans, ha- the Zimmer no, I mean, score Hans has Zimmer- its place.
1: Zimmer scores are like a a a a rec- you could put a record on and sit down, close your eyes and just listen to the music, and it's good. Uh the music in this movie isn't music that I would sit down and just listen to. It needs the movie just as much as the movie needs the music.
0: I would cling to that music. All right. <laughs> <laughs> there uh... are some
1: some of the artists I listen to on like the RJD2 type um Pandora Station I got going on. They do sample giallo goblin music and it's like yeah. That,
0: that does not be <laughs> suff- The idea that RJD2 or like DJ Shadow would sample Goblin yeah. makes complete sense to me. Uh yeah. No, I I actually I I had a good time watching this movie. You know, I did actually become really curious about Mario Bava while I was watching it. And apparently he had trained to be a painter and couldn't make it as a painter and then started getting into cinematography because I think that's what his dad did um, and then made made it on to being a director, but through that path. So frustrated painter to cinematographer to director writer. Uh, which I just, I found really interesting. I like artists or, or people. Who failed to do one kind of art and then moved to something else because they weren't good enough to do the thing they really wanted to do? Because that's kind of how I am with novels. Um, but I, I, <laughs> so, yeah, that I, is
1: very interesting sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And,
0: and I like that that was his his kind of path. And I'll, I'll point out some of the the camera moments I found really interesting in this movie because there were a few where I was like, "Ooh, this is really cool." Yeah uh all right
1: okay wait wait so i (laughs) this was maybe gonna be like a wrap-up thing but just Mm -hmm. to go on top of that yes what i've been watching a lot of uh a lot of movies lately and one of the things that i've noticed that makes a good movie versus a bad movie is like not just what is this scene about but as a director you have to know what to show and when right like i think probably the most easily accessible example of this would be the first x-men movie where they they bring the the kid magneto the little kid magneto or whatever they bring him into the chamber and he has this whole conversation with this doctor type this nazi doctor and it's covered facing like let's just say the north wall however when the camera cuts to the south wall and reverses that 180 line you just see a giant wall full of medical torture tools and so then we get the backstory that magneto because he was a special mutant he was tortured by the nazis to try to take advantage of it and weaponize it and that's why he hates humanity and he's a bad mutant um that's that's what makes a good director what to show and when not only does mario bava know what to show and when But he makes fantastic decisions in how to show it. Because you're right, the camera angles and stuff in this movie, some of them are just, whoa. Like, I wouldn't think to put the camera there. Or it's so cool and cinematic. It's just so cinematic that, like, yeah, that's where the camera should go.
0: He makes a lot of really interesting cinematic choices that, you know, it's just he's got that, he's got the painter's eye, I mean, the idea that this is a guy who used to paint or to draw feels, feels very at home in his visual style. And to your point, as we get into the summary, good old Miss Wiki did neglect to say that this movie does begin, you know, you plunge right into it. We're following this happy couple as they're giggling and smooching on this train car and they're being pursued by this unknown assailant with a meat cleaver who kills them. You're in his POV, and it's only after this first kill scene, which, again, thank you for delivering on the assignment, because right from the first minute, it's like, oh, here's the wedding, here's the happy couple, here's the bride and groom, let's kill them. So, yeah, perfect answer to horror for weddings. Uh, But we get that whole bit all before we get into the info that Wikipedia starts with, which is John Harrington is a handsome 30-year-old man who feels compelled to murder young brides to remember the details of a childhood trauma. It's not delivered to us in that way. We see him murder someone, and then there's a voiceover. American Psycho style or proto, it's proto American Psycho.
1: I have in my notes, I have in my notes American Psycho with Dirty Harry Callahan. It's like a (laughs) 70s
0: Clint
1: Eastwood like. performance of like just this guy looking at people he's got like a kind of he just does a lot looks of looks like an
0: alien yeah he and looks like a lizard a alien
1: yeah he's got the 70s vibe like a lot of this reminded me of uh dirty harry and then it was american psycho in the 70s yeah absolutely
0: yeah i like the way he says in his voiceover i'm a paranoic as if paranoic i'm, a, a, para- I'm a paranoid. i'm a paranoic And I kill people. Uh, But yeah, he's very matter of fact about it. I mean, you know, seriously, guys will just do anything to get out of therapy. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Including including killing people. Yeah. John never once was like, oh, maybe I should get a therapist. He just went right to, I got to kill these brides. My mother died very mysteriously, and I have no idea how <laughs> that could have happened. My, I, my mom is dead. Um, and and the would, only
1: way that I feel like I'm getting closer to solving her death is by killing people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Say it ain't so. <laughs> no, but yeah, John. John is really messed up. But also much like Christian Bale, John is handsome. So people don't people don't register the fact that he's so creepy. It's like, oh, that John Harrington. Also, he's got a boatload of cash and a very successful wedding dress design business. He so it's like not only does he need to kill brides He's also like, I'm going to source them too. Like, I have to wonder if the first few brides that John killed, he was like, I just wish they were wearing a better wedding dress. Like, I could do better. I could design that dress. Uh, So he he
1: inherited his company from his mom. Oh,
0: wait, that's right. He's obsessed
1: with his mom. I
0: forgot. (laughs) I forgot that he didn't choose the wedding life, the wedding life chose him. Also, uh,
1: as you mentioned, yeah, he's got to kill brides. So we're gonna get into the detective character. But I love the line of two hundred people get married every day in Paris. It's like, yeah, you're you're on an uphill battle, man. If if this guy's mo is killing brides, whew, every day he, you have two hundred potential victims.
0: He's got a lot. He's got a lot of brides, and he's producing a lot of the victims in his factory because. Right. Oof, you you can't work for John and go off and get married. No, no, no. Uh so John lives in a spacious villa which he inherited from Mommy, that's very important, uh outside Paris where he manages a bridal dress factory belonging to his deceased mother and he is financially supported by his wife Mildred. Oh What do we think of Mildred? Mildred. Because I Uh, fucking love her. I love her.
1: Mildred. Oh, I hate her. Oh,
0: I love to hate her. And then it comes around. I I love to hate her. And then it just comes around to love again. Because it's just like she's so... John hates her so much. And I think that's what makes me love her even more and I think, but also it, she she hates him right back. But I think the reason that she hates him is because he won't fuck her. I yes. think.
1: Oh, yes. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay. So that I'm glad that we're on the same page about this because I wanted to get the lowdown from you too, as a, as a fellow watcher of this movie. Which is so John kills brides, right? But Mildred is very much alive. So we have to wonder. How did Mildred make it out of this situation? And I think if I connected the dots correctly, John never slept with her. Yes. And that's why she's so angry. And the reason he didn't kill her is also because he didn't sleep with her. Because if he'd slept with her, then he would have had to kill her.
1: Right. I think it's also implied, he jokes about it, but it's implied that after he kills them he rapes them or either before or it's it's implied but yes the idea of weddings changing a woman fundamentally is a big thing for him she's spoiled and uh multiple multiple times during this movie mildred will berate john for not being a man and sort of not sealing the deal of the marriage and john kind of throws it back at her of like well you're not really doing any fate like you're not trying to seduce me, either. So it's not worth trying to seduce Frank, you. I'm
0: not into you.
1: They just both hate each other.
0: Yeah. So they they. But she
1: will. Yeah, she will not give him a divorce.
0: She will not give him a divorce. Uh, one of the great uh cinematography moments I liked was when John looks at her through the other end of his yeah. binoculars because yeah, yeah, yeah. she looks smaller. Because he just wants to make her smaller, even yeah, though he, he wants can't her to be far away. Yeah. He wants her to be far away. He wants her to be small. But Mildred insists on being a presence and won't give him a divorce. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's how she says it, too. She's like, no,
0: never. <laughs> so, of course, one of the models has to approach John and tell him, hey, I'm quitting because I'm gonna get married, and John's like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh not so fast." I get prima noctis. <laughs> do you know? Yeah. Do you know what prima noctis is?
1: Uh, if you're
0: asking me to tell you,
1: I cannot. <laughs> but I know what it is. I you wanted know what I to mean?
0: explain the joke just because I just find it so fucked up and hilarious that any medieval lord could just be like, "I get the first night." <laughs>
1: Yeah, it it is implied that like all like the women are his in yeah. a way. Like, yeah, yeah, all of the
0: models it, belong to him for some reason. And nobody acts like well, Also this is they, weird. they all
1: like it though. It's yeah, also John, the seventies.
0: The seventies was just rife with predatory yeah. craziness. 70s,
1: Italians. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So of course well, Okay, so
1: so it's cool because he invites her to stay after, right? And we know he's a killer, so obviously, he's and then going we go to, to his her.
0: Dr. 5Z in, yes. uh mannequin room. He tries to be
1: slick and like, "Ooh, I should sneak in," but it's like he opens a panel of wall, and there's a giant steel door, and he's like all sneaky about it. <laughs> but yeah, he goes in, and then he's like, "Hey, these are all the wedding dresses." pick one i'm it's my gift to you and so like it's a really nice moment but i think the the again it's the the what to show and when it's a nice moment we the audience know he's a killer but the way that they build up the cabinet and the way the cabinet houses the hatchet and like all of that will kind of come into play later as a sort of like we're on the racetrack now in fourth gear going full speed like he sets up this layer in such a great way and just like dr fives we get a nice dance scene
0: he did dance with her before he killed her and was it was it at this kill or the next kill where he puts the veil on
1: it's the next one yeah yeah, okay
0: so the next but but yes he he's very because
1: she's in a wedding dress but the next person he kills or the the one where he puts on the veil that person is not in a wedding dress so it's kind of like to make up for the fact that she isn't he puts on a veil
0: yeah no it it still needs to be (laughs) you know again John Harrington is very invested in fulfilling the wedding theme assignment. Uh, But yeah, I, oh, another great film moment is the way that they did the lighting on the mannequins to where there'd be a shaft of light over their lifeless eyes so fucking creepy but again and john's really face in- a lot
1: of the times is like half covered on one half and then he'll step into a shadow and it blends into the other half and like it reverses the lighting in this movie is awesome <laughs>
0: Oh, it was, again, like, the visual style is just on an, on another level. It's like the ecstasy of St. Teresa. Like, again, <laughs> what is it with the... The Italians just understand visual mediums better than... They had like, a renaissance. Everyone.
1: They had an entire renaissance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, they really, like, I mean, they... I, they they do movies the best. They do cath they do Catholicism the biggest. I, I yeah. mean, rats off to you, Italians. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he he kills her, and I think we see the vision of him as a little boy. So his little inner child is like, we're getting closer, and he's like, ah, I just need a few more kills to learn <sighs> the truth. <laughs> um, so he 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 pulls a motel hell. And after he kills the bride, he hacks her to death with a meat cleaver uh, and then burns the body in the furnace of his greenhouse and uses the ashes as fertilizer. So very motel hell. Mm -hmm. And he gets a slightly clearer image of his traumatic memory every time he does a murder. Uh, and it's at this point that we get introduced to the police investigation. Inspector Russell and his guys are are basically on to John because it's like, why do these models just keep dying and disappearing from this one bridal factory
1: yeah it's it's six not so models
0: mo- six models have
1: died. And and the relationship between the detective and John is going to be a very tropey film noir kind of relationship where it's super obvious he's the killer because he's so overly friendly the first time they talk because they've already talked before, right? Because mm-hmm. people have gone missing before. Well, it's like
0: the sixth time they've talked, right?
1: But by the end of the movie, he's like you annoy me. I'm getting tired. I don't have to answer these ridiculous questions. Like, why do I have blood on my shirt? You know, like he's, he just becomes so cartoony, but I love that kind of relationship. I love the performance by, uh by the guy who plays inspector Russell. Hey, is it Jesus? Je- Jesus? I don't know how the Italians pronounce it. Jesus Puente. Uh,
0: i I think i don't know yeah he's
1: great he is so great
0: so so it's like they're on to him john knows that he knows he knows that john knows but they just don't have enough evidence to nail the guy uh so at his office john meets helen wood who has come to apply for the job, quote-unquote, vacated by one of the mysteriously disappeared models. And impressed with her wit and beauty, John hires her. And over the next few days, John falls in love with Helen. And they do play this pretty straight to where it's like he seems like he's interested in her in a non-creepy way. She's kind of into him. Like there's there's not this, Um, I don't know... Yeah, he really respects her and he's not interested in...
1: in so he, This is where we get the hint... Well, okay, so... Yes, this is where we start to blend in with him getting to know her with the fact that his wife is leaving town. So he spends the night with her and we get the the start of the inkling of like he likes her to the point where he doesn't want to be involved with her because that puts her in danger
0: right right he's kind of he's like uh edward he's uh, he's like edward from twilight like if you get too close to me i'm going to devour you
1: right and so yeah but luckily since he hates his wife Luckily, she leaves. She's going to be gone for a whole week, which gives him a whole yeah, week to they pretend can, to be divorced.
0: They can seal that deal. Uh, and so Mildred, supposed to go on this week-long vacation. Perfect. Then he can bring Helen home. Um, but, but he
1: doesn't bring Helen home. because he, he can't. He, he's afraid of hurting her
0: he's afraid of hurting her. And also the nightclub scenes in this movie are very weird and dreamlike and like unreal. And I think it's meant to be unreal. It's just it's all very weird. The whole Um, movie
1: feels like a fever dream.
0: Yes. And apparently this movie is is considered pretty underrated. It's 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 not a Mario Bava film that gets reviewed a lot or gets seen a lot. But then in the sort of info about the film, I feel like I read that it was deeply personal multiple times. Maybe Mario Bava went through a terrible divorce, like the guy from, yeah. um, what was the divorce movie we watched with Sam Neill and is- Isabel Angeli? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Possession.
0: Possession. Is is this his possession?
1: Yeah. I think a lot of the Italian directors sort of used filmmaking as therapy. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, no. I, I, Uh But so Mildred, of course, has tricked him. She pretended what? she <laughs> this is Mildred. We're talking about Brett. Would you expect anything less from Mildred? It was all a trick mildred was trying to catch him in the act of infidelity and that's when john cannot take it anymore he puts on that veil and he chops mildred to bits
1: well so again i i want to set the scene a little bit because what to show and when and how he's so frustrated by her presence he goes to the bathroom he turns on the water to kind of create a white noise drown her out as she's taunting him the, the white noise of the water rushing fades into the sound of footsteps. All of a sudden, we know what the sound of footsteps mean. The sound of footsteps mean he is going to kill. So what does he do? He goes back to Mildred and seduces the fuck out of her. And sh- and then he goes to leave her and she says, have mercy, make me your bride. And oh, yeah. Goes,
0: She's so pent up.
1: She's so f- Fucking into it. She needs it. She wants it. So he's like, I'll be right back and I will give you what you need. And boom, he comes back. We see the plate. We see the, the hatchet on a platter, and then we see her reactions. She slinks into the corner. I think it's a mirror shot or something. But then, boom, the hatchet raises, and we get the close-up of him in a veil, lipstick, messily on his lips, and he's like, ah, serial killer mode, and it's fucking great. Like, it's, this is Jalo, you know what I mean? Like, it's hard to describe Jalo. You gotta see it. This kill scene is he goes nuts and he kills her and um one of the things i really did like is every single woman that he kills as soon as they see the hatchet they know he is not joking there's not one scene in this movie where the woman goes like oh ha put, put that away you're being silly like no the moment they see the hatchet they're like oh shit yeah he's he's a fucking psychopath
0: yes Yes. no i i that scene was really well shot and then again the lighting was amazing uh
1: but yeah then his wife is dead and uh we get a little knock on the door a frantic (laughs) knock who could it be
0: wait i don't i don't remember that part
1: oh all right so yeah as he's like as his wife is dying uh we get the frantic knocks on the door john goes down he takes off the veil uses the veil to wipe <laughs> off the, the the lipstick and puts it in a vase a <laughs> giant vase of course and then it's the detective and the one girl's fiance the girl who went missing it's it's, it's her fiance
0: oh that's right
1: and most conveniently like we well, just heard screaming most conveniently he goes to the tv the tv that's already right. has the, the movie on that's with right the, the screaming just like he already had the burnt toast prepared to make up for the furnace smell of cremating the body he's very smart very calculated very american psycho um but they kind of grill him a little bit and then as he's leaving they're like mm, it's very cold out but you're sweating hmm. curious simply curious <laughs> but the whole time the white oh it's i thought it was great that as the wife is dying on the stairs she's still alive she's dying as the woman on the tv is screaming. It's just very macabre, very Italian, giallo, just like the way that she dies. It's not glorified. It's very gross and messy and like you it it doesn't feel good. Uh, it's it it feels bad, but that's going to be a big driving least, force for the rest of the movie.
0: It's the least satisfying kill that John has had to deliver, and as far as I know, it doesn't unlock his traumatic memory further.
1: This one. it makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah.
0: Oh, we didn't even talk about the weird scene where so Mildred, I guess, told him that he she was going to this Callaway gathering calloway being the oh, yeah. spiritualist guy and then you have this scene where it's almost like john's mother is speaking through mildred
1: yeah it's not exactly 100 clear at this point in the movie but having seen the movie yeah like in context now yeah she is possessed by the mother who sort of is crying out her death cries and it's it's weird. But also the scene the way they cut from uh, the shadows of John in his like chamber and then the way they they swirl the camera over to the the seance. Oh, so great.
0: Yeah, no. so so John finally gets rid of Mildred. You'd think that things you'd think that it'd be coming up Millhouse. Uh, after all of that but no because the very next day John is going about business and everyone is acting like they can see Mildred and Mildred's not there he's like I killed that bitch well who are they talking to and so he keeps turning to you know the empty space where they seem to be looking at Mildred but Mildred's not there uh, so he's he's kind of got a Macbeth with Banquo's ghost situation going on, uh, and and he you know it's just driving him crazy. So I think he had her buried, so he unearths her and he burns her. Uh, yeah. and, then- and then I don't know
1: at which point, <laughs> but at one point she like visits him as he's in his bedroom and she just lays it out. She's like, "Listen, I'm gonna haunt you for the rest of your." life and at this point in the movie if we want to look at it critically speaking at this point in the movie he has killed his own wife which means he now kind of has to reconcile with the fact of like i did this right i killed my own it wasn't
0: just therapy this time
1: right now everyone else is going to be talking to her as if she's there so i have to confront her about this and admit that i did this to her and live with that every single day he has not been living with the fact that he's killed his mom every single day because he's repressed that memory so by killing his wife Mm, she is now inciting and propelling the momentum of him getting closer and driving that discovery of him therapizing and sort of like reconciling the fact that the theme of this movie is like, I did it. That's the big revelation of the movie. I did this.
0: But it's but, so, I mean, it, but I think but, it's also intentionally meant to be very obvious that he did it. It's obvious to oh, everyone except for John.
1: Everyone except for John. I mean, it's not even try- like Mario Bava is not trying to hide it from the audience
0: at Mm-mm, all. No, not at like, all. not even
1: a little bit. So, yeah, it's a really cool moment. It's a really cool way to, like, halfway into the movie go, hey, let's take a left turn, like a little bit of a left turn. Let's veer left.
0: Oh, yeah. And I really enjoyed that. So he burns Mildred's remains. She literally burned a lot, or she burned to keep him warm. Uh, And then he puts her ashes in a handbag, He put the old bag in a bag. (laughs) And I I love that he's so satisfied when he has her in the bag. Like, oh, you wanted to stay with me always, didn't you? (laughs) Well, now you get to. And he takes the bag with him to the weird nightclub. And the nightclub cocktail waitress is like, oh, what would she like? A sherry? Yeah. And so it's like either he truly is crazy or the whole world is gaslighting him for a very specific reason. (laughs) Uh, And, and yeah, so he's just, he's going nuts over this. Uh, And so it, it, according to miss wiki, she continues to haunt him until he scatters the ashes over a river and discards the handbag.
1: Oh, and once he does that right the hand i mean i'm i am giving it away but the handbag then reappears when he gets home or whatever that's just like the changeling mm. that we saw with george c scott which was kind of another like underappreciated sort of cult classic movie that inspired a bunch of other movies like that kind of idea of throwing something haunted away and then it returning like changeling was 1980 this movie was 1970 so i don't know when the book for changeling came out but i thought that was really cool
0: i will say also that the um the seduction of mildred scene where he kills her reminds me a lot of uh have you ever seen night of the hunter with robert mitchum
1: yeah 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 yeah. the scene
0: where he kills shelly winters very similar where she's just like waiting to be taken into this erotic ecstasy when really she's about to be murdered. Um, Yeah, I I think it's very similar. So he, he he needs to kill another bride. He's, he's horny. He's got, he's got murder blue balls, basically. And he's got to kill a
1: guy.
0: He's got to kill another woman. Um, But he gets foiled by inspector Russell. Uh, And so he has to return home and Helen is there waiting for him. And they have a very interesting kind of, I don't know, intimate scene where they go up to his toy room, essentially. Oh, yeah. And... I thought that it was weird and also filmed very interestingly how as they're talking about him and his past and stuff and they're getting more intimate, it keeps cutting to various wind-up toys. Yeah. It's very creepy.
1: That's a very 70s serial killer kind of thing. Like, I feel like wind-up toys and mannequins. Mannequins more so, Oh, like Black Christmas yeah like it's and also blood and black lace has mannequins another mario Mm -hmm. baba thing like yeah mannequins are creepy um
0: toys um, are creepy and then they show them uh this is a cool i thought this was a cool shot rather than directly showing us the kiss it's from behind the wicker rocking chair that we see them kiss which I thought that that was filmed well. So I think it's implied that they sleep together because I think you later see Helen kind of just walking around in a bathrobe, right?
1: No, so she she's already in the robe cause she's trying to seduce him. She's in the mm. robe because the inspector stops by to be like, Hey, someone just tried to kill a lady. Was it you? Hey, you're really sweaty. Huh? How come you're always sweaty when people are dying? And then, <laughs> and then Helen comes in and is like, I just wanted him to get away. So I pretended like we were together and I just, I, who cares that he was just here be, to question you about a murder. Why don't we go to bed together? And so but I think before he beds her, he has to like have the the wedding type ceremony of dance, bringing her up to the torture chamber and making her wear one of the wedding dresses. And
0: Well, he well, he basically says that he didn't want to do this, but he has to do it because he couldn't kill he the other. To. He has to do it. He couldn't kill the other girl. And he needs to find that last piece And I mean, you know, if he asked me, I could have told him what happened. But uh, he didn't (laughs) ask me. He didn't ask you. (laughs) He didn't ask me or you or Inspector Russell. Uh, So, yeah, he's got to fit that last piece in. So so Helen gets in the dress and he goes to hit her with the cleaver, but she blocks him. uh, And he still, even though he doesn't manage to kill her he's able to unlock the memory that as a young boy, he was upset at his mommy remarrying and he killed her and his stepfather with a cleaver. Well, so
1: on their wedding night, he walks up the stairs while he's got his blanket wrapped around him. And I thought it was really nice imagery that like, as he's walking up the stairs, it's like he's wearing a wedding dress going up oh. the stairs. And it just sort of reinforces the the feminine dressmaking, dress wearing, mommy issues kind of aspect of like psychosexual.
0: Like, yeah,
1: like his mom got remarried and so then on the wedding night he killed. Fors
0: can't remarry.
1: Right. The wedding fundamentally it she is no longer his mom. She is is the guy's wife. You know what I mean? Like it's very I mean, according edible. to him and his mommy issues. But yeah, it's it it fucked him up. It really a number on him
0: now if she had just not gotten remarried if she hadn't been so selfish yeah maybe he wouldn't have had to kill her just yeah. saying uh so he he has this revelation there you know there's tears streaming down his face like he's the madonna he cries witnessing. out i did it <laughs> oh i forgot <laughs> I, I killed her uh what is this Stephen forsyth i think yeah. is the name of the actor his delivery in this is pretty great it's I, so good i i read that apparently he'd gone up to mario baba and been like do you have any notes uh <laughs> do you want me to change anything do you want me to do anything a different way and mario baba was like if i want you to do anything different i'll tell you so just keep doing whatever you're doing yeah. and so like i i guess like Stephen forsyth did did it the loudest yeah. he could. And Mario Baba was like, yes. Yeah. Bene. <laughs> bene. Molta bene. <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, it works. And then Helen lets in inspector Russell and the team of policemen. And we'd learn that Helen was a part of the sting operation all along even before john had hired her uh she was put in there to get the evidence to to find out that that john was yeah. a killer and so they finally get what they need to lock john up for good he's loaded into the police van um and then And once w-
1: he's caught he just immediately gives up they don't even have to put handcuffs on him
0: oh he's no just like eh. Good job, you got me. Well, no, he went full Norman Bates. He, yeah. he you know, yeah, yeah, the yeah. the gig is up, it's over. Yeah. Uh, and then one of the policemen very kindly sets the handbag next to him. Uh, and Mildred appears. And this time it it really is to John only. So I think even though they never spe- spelled it out they were gaslighting him about Mildred to get him to admit that he did the murders. Is that what we're meant to believe?
1: I think that's an interesting take, but I think it's just straight up his mind breaking telltale heart. He feels guilty and he's just somehow imagining it all. And I don't know, like I I just think he's an unreliable narrator at that point. I don't know that it's all part of the inspector's plan and they're all in on it but who knows
0: i just assumed that they were in on it but this time only he's seeing mildred and she tells him that now they're gonna be together forever and ever first in the insane asylum and then in hell for all eternity
1: And he grabs onto the bars of the paddy wagon, looking out the window, screaming. And then in the distance, as he drives off towards the insane asylum, he sees the little ghost memory version of him as a kid. And the kid looks down so sad. And we roll credits with the fucking great score behind it.
0: (laughs) Inner child trauma
1: yeah what a movie
0: really great score amazing cinematography absolutely bananas characters um i you know i wasn't a fan of the voiceover at first but it, it ultimately grew on me yeah but yeah this is definitely i feel like this is the kind of movie that's a director's favorite movie you know, not not the kind of movie that makes it onto a lot of um, just regular people's favorite movie lists, but, you know, one of those things where, like, a director does something for Criterion, and you find yeah. out Catch It for the Honeymoons, one of their favorite movies.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like
0: that. that. Like, Phase 5, or, yeah, it's Phase, or Phase 4?
1: Phase 4.
0: Phase 5 is just complete devastation. Uh, but yeah, like phase four feels like a director's movie. Yeah. So any final thoughts before we get into the question?
1: No, I just have to say like, I mean, this isn't, this isn't one of the first of the Italian horror movies. This isn't one of the ones that like defined the genre or anything, but you know, just I imagine Mario Bava watching this movie in in one of those private screening rooms with the producers and other Italian film directors behind him. And like the credits roll, this lights come up, he turns around and he's like, so that's my idea for an entire genre. Uh, what do you guys think? Who can make the weirdest version of that? And then all the directors just look at each other and go, yeah, all right. Yeah. We can work with that. Let's just make, that movie over and over and just make it as weird as possible every time.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, like without giving a lot away about uh, deep red, there are definitely shades of deep red in this movie.
1: Yeah, big time.
0: So got to ask, who did you have a crush on?
1: Oh, the inspector. Uh, I
0: knew it the the best thing one
1: Italian horror movie inspectors have a great way of like getting in that last little jab of the needle of like on their way out they go oh one more thing they're so good at that and Mm -hmm. I eat it up like that's just pure catnip for me but I love the line where the John Harrington has the movie already preset up to the screaming part. And the next scene, when they talk to each other, the director or the inspector is like, you know, I made a routine phone call to the to the TV station that was playing that movie. And it just so happened there was actually no screaming before that part. Just a curious observation I made, but the fact that he says routine phone call is like, yeah, just made a routine phone call to the TV station to no check big up, deal.
0: just to make sure no that the movie had deal.
1: screaming in it, you know. <laughs> and it's just his way to like get under his fingernails. And oh, oh yeah, one more thing, <laughs> Deep Red has that. Oh, one more thing, I just wanted to find out who the killer was. it's so great
0: no I would agree with that Uh, for me though it's all about Mildred all day I am for you know I love the idea of a woman who sticks around just to spite a man and Mildred is that woman
1: yeah I I've never understood that as an actual driving human motivation but as like a character motivation. I think it's great. And the way that she gets her revenge on him and forces him to confront. Oh. Yeah, it's 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 really good.
0: It is, as I like to say, chef's kiss. Yes. So getting into remake territory, how how was it this time? Did you have fun?
1: I embraced the mommy issues full on f- just full full on. I I, I dove in, cannonballed, right in. Mine
0: has like a dash of mommy issues, but not not as full on as it sounds like yours is. Yes. Um, Mine is just plain stupid. I just (laughs) leaned into the stupid and went from there. Um, But I'm curious about how you're going to work through these mommy issues in a rom-com.
1: I can't wait for you to hear this. Why don't you go uh, first? Uh hatred for the honeymoon.
0: Ooh, the hatred the for the honeymoon. You're gonna like what H I chose.
1: Ooh, I can't <laughs> wait. Uh <laughs> and so here we go. A man, John, has intimacy problems. Oh. Okay. So he can't quite he he can't even like kiss a woman or or go to bed with a woman because what does that lead to that leads to relationships and what do relationships lead to the relationships lead to marriage what does marriage lead to marriage leads to honeymoons and so we're gonna have it so that like john's mom left him when she was on her honeymoon so now he's got this traumatic experience associated with honeymoons to the point where he can't even like be in a relationship with a woman so he has intimacy problems and and so what he ends up doing is he ends up going yeah he ends up going to um um a sex therapist and the sex therapist uses some hypnotherapy memory recall stuff to realize that um oh oh no i'm sorry the the mom didn't leave him on the honeymoon he's got a repressed memory the mom actually never married his mom never married she died before she could get married so what happens is in order to solve the problem of this intimacy issues of like marriage being such a giant hill that he has to overcome. The sex therapist suggests that he marry his mom. And what that means is his mom is supposedly dead, right? His mom passed away. His mom died. Right. So what he has to do is pretty much like pretty woman, but with mommy issues, he has to find a woman to role play as his mom and he has to have a wedding ceremony with. So he's her. gonna
0: vertigo some woman into being his mom.
1: No, we're gonna have auditions.
0: Okay. So, like audition. This,
1: like audition. <laughs> uh, and so we're gonna have auditions again. I mean, if we're doing a rom com, plenty of opportunities for guest stars or wacky characters, little gimmicks and whatnot. Um. However, I I had this idea kind of like at the end of my pitch, but I was thinking it'd be be interesting if he was so drawn to one woman in particular for some unknown reason. But like, let's say that woman was Indian. Mm -hmm. So we get like a Hollywood star and a Bollywood star to come together to make a cool rom-com movie. And so... He picks the Indian woman to play as his mom, but then we have to go through a coaching exercise period. So the Indian woman will call her. I, I was just going to call her Millie, but Harvody uh, Millie.
0: There, I don't like, know many Indian women uh, named Millie, but but okay. Mildred is the name. Okay, of okay, the okay Millie, from the movie. Millie. So
1: Millie again. This came after, right? This is a late edition. So Millie has to have a coach, so it's just like uh miscongeniality with Michael Kane having to coach someone to do something, but also he has to spend time with her to kind of fill her in on like my dear what yeah, and so then we get the wedding scene, and uh at the wedding scene, it's funny because he gets all of his mom's old classmates to come by, but at this point they're all old seniors. Because, of course, at his mom's wedding, her friends would be there, right? So he gets all of her her old friends to be there. But now they're all seniors, so they're all, like, in their 80s or something. And they're all sarcastic seniors. So uh, at the wedding, they start flirting. And then they realize that they actually do like each other. So oh. they can't go through with this wedding because that would make it creepy, right? So they go to escape the wedding. They have to flee their own wedding. Oh, they're runaway briding. But they're captured because at this point, like for some reason, we can say like the the sex therapist funded the bill for the wedding. And it's like a a $500,000 wedding or something. And so if they don't get married, they have to pay the money.
0: Oh no. So, you
1: know, so like they have to get married. So so they're caught. They have sneaky plans to cancel out, but they're caught. And then they 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 manipulate using their own friends and stuff. They try to sabotage their own wedding, but because each of them is trying to sabotage the wedding, the sabotage plans cancel out and then they accidentally cancel each other out so they're forced to walk down the aisle and then right before they're about to get married and forced to kiss each other as husband and wife but also mom and son it's weird who is right?
0: this therapist who is like you should marry your mom
1: uh whoever picked whoever lands that role <laughs> is going to have a blast playing it because it's going to be a weird one but when they ask does anyone object to patrick this wedding, stewart <laughs> Patrick Stewart does not object to this wedding. No. <laughs> Who objects to this wedding? Uh
0: I meant mom. Patrick Stewart for the, the therapist.
1: No, I know. But his mom, his mom objects to the wedding. And his and her son, John, is like, How? where have you been? I thought you were dead. And his mom is like, I've been on my honeymoon. And so then it's like <laughs> Her oh. honeymoon lasted decades. Yeah, decades. And so then, you know, that was one of the reasons why he never wanted to get married because he was always scared of having a honeymoon because his mom never got to have a honeymoon. So now that his mom has had a honeymoon, all of his mommy issues are solved. So now (laughs) not
0: not because she abandoned him for his entire
1: life. No. So now <laughs> now they marry each other, not as her pretending to be his mom, but as her being her and he marries her for himself. And so then they kiss. And as they kiss, all the sarcastic seniors are shouting and like heckling them and like being really like. Uh, no, they're all
0: Statler and Waldorf. Yeah,
1: Statler and Waldorf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the the movie ends with, so where do you want to go on our honeymoon? And John looks at Millie and says, "I'm already there." Aww. Aww. And that's that is ninety minutes of my therapy session. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they didn't need a wishing well,
1: right? Uh, so I'm 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 very curious to know about your movie
0: so you pick uh what was your title again it was hatred
1: uh, for the honeymoon.
0: hatred for the honeymoon i chose a different h word it's horny for the honeymoon
1: oh
0: fuck yeah this is gonna be so stupid so john harrington is the ceo Of a sex toy company he inherited from his mother. (laughs) So yes, he has a shit ton of mommy issues. Does he
1: have a lot of wind-up toys in his room?
0: (laughs) No, they are all chargeable devices. Um, But John has a problem. He's the CEO of a sex toy company who hates sex. Yep. The reason why? John's relationships keep failing when they get married and have their honeymoon. Ugh. Every time a woman gets close to John and learns about his business, they want to use the company's prototypes, like the Sex Horse, which is an update on the Sibian, if you know what that is.
1: Nope. <laughs> I won't ask because i definitely don't know
0: (laughs) look it up later but maybe on a private browser (laughs) but yeah if you know you know um it it is it it's just a it's a giant rideable sex toy
1: you don't have to explain it our our audience knows (laughs) what it is we all know what it is (laughs)
0: So John is tired of being overshadowed by these fucking orgasm machines.
1: Yeah, how can you
0: compete? How can you compete? So, yeah, he feels very inadequate, Uh, very inadequate next to this just roster of (laughs) devices that, you know, because this is his company that he's inherited. It's not like he can just get rid of everything This is his life. So after a disastrous annulment with the beautiful Helen, John is determined to find the most sexless woman possible to be his mate. Uh, It's then that he finds Mildred, an uptight heiress with an interest in investing in his business, and a vague attraction to John. Mildred seems so lifeless that it's almost comical. Kind of like... um, uh, what was that? The the one character from Arrested Development who was just that very bland girl played by my, Maya Whitman. Um, her. Uh, That's what they always say, right? Her. Uh, yeah, her. Egg.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, just so her name was Anne. I think
0: Anne. Yeah. Her. So so just just that kind of just almost right. comical blandness. She's so milk toast it hurts. Uh, and John just finds that she's completely unaffected by any of the products offered by the company. She has a mind for business and a body for business. Yeah. Uh, And he just, he thinks like, oh man, he's found the answer to his prayers and begs Mildred to marry him and she accepts. But then John finds that Mildred has changed something in him he is now finally horny truly horny for the first time and over the baggage of being the son of a mother who owned a sex toy company he's fully in love with her but it, it doesn't matter because mildred is mildred and she's a cold fish will she ever be horny uh not only that but she doesn't like john's sudden wave of feelings because she yeah. went into this marriage thinking okay we're on the same page here we both hate sex and we right. like That's making money uh and she's you know it's like oh they're they're it's no longer going to work so After after all of this back and forth, Mildred has prepared to end things with John. And they're having that one final should I stay, should I go argument. And then that's when John unveils that he has designed something new, especially for her. And because this is a rom-com, he'll like unveil it and be like, I present the Mildred. (laughs) And what is it? What is it?
1: What is the Mildred?
0: It's a glass coffin that prevents John from ever touching her, but also releases very strong vibrations that are pleasing to both partners. So Mildred realizes that John gets her. He really loves her because he's okay with the fact that she doesn't want to have a relationship that involves touching Or intimacy beyond not touching. And he's willing to work around that in their relationship. And then that's when they lose themselves to horniness and have a true honeymoon.
1: So once he gives her the coffin, she then... Do do they get physical or no?
0: Yes, they get physical. She gets in the okay. coffin, and then he puts his body on top of the coffin, and then it vibrates. Oh, okay. And then so they, they get like, physical
1: using the coffin, not yes, like but, traditionally. But
0: it enables them to be intimate, right? Well, and yeah, her being able to not have to touch him, and that would be a
1: really weird scene. Yeah.
0: Sidebar: If you're interested in figuring out, like, can this work as an erotic plot? There is a really good smutty novella called Sweet Agony by Charlotte Stein, where one of the protagonists in the book hates being touched. And so all the sexy little scenes that occur have to work around this factor. So if you're wondering, can it be done? It can be done. Yes. Is it weird? Absolutely. It, It is excessively weird and bizarre. But you know what I feel like John and Mildred are weird ass people and so yeah. any any rom-com version of them is going to be weird too. So that's it. Horny for the for the Horny for the Honeymoon. I was about to say Horny for the Holidays, but that's the sequel.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Already thinking franchise. How many days can we be horny for?
0: <laughs> horny for the Holidays, Horny for Halloween.
1: Horny for he for the leap year.
0: <laughs> yeah, something like that. But <laughs> but yeah, there you have it.
1: I like it.
0: Well that does it for today. Before we get into Love Bites, I just want to remind you to subscribe to us and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media at Necromancer Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Now then, Love Bites, what would you like to recommend this week?
1: I would like to recommend the movie Kimmy, the movie Kimmy on HBO Max. Do you know about this movie?
0: This is the movie with um, isn't it Zoe Kravitz is in the movie? Yeah. And so she I, does it's kind of she does a conversation where like Gene yeah. Hackman style, she hears something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had no
1: idea about this movie, and it kept popping up on anytime I would go onto HBO Max. So I looked at it and it's directed by uh Steven Soderbergh. Oh, And I was like, you know, Steven Soderbergh knows how to shoot a movie. Speaking of what You're to Steven show You're Steven
0: Soderbergh.
1: Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'll check it out. It's only 90 minutes.
0: We very like that. Nice.
1: Uh, it's written by David Coep, who is a well-established screenwriter. He's written a lot of stuff, a lot of famous stuff. But it is. It is very traditional, very classic in the sense that, yes, Kimmy works for... um. Or no, her name isn't Kimmy. Kimmy is the name of the, the device that she works for. Um, but she works for this like Alexa device type company. And mm-hmm. what she does is she she listens to all the things that Kimmy doesn't understand and then helps Kimmy understand them. So when people mm. say like, what's the weather outside today? And Kimmy gives the wrong answer. She has to try to figure out where Kimmy went wrong. However, oh, okay. One of the Kimmy conversations that has been recorded for her to review is a murder. And so very Hitchcockian, very traditional, very classic. But what I really loved about this movie is that if you're going to look at Giallo movies and sort of mental illness, the those movies are not like, right. Like those movies treat it as these weird one note fetishizations of of what that kind of stuff is like and i hate i, I mean this isn't the, the podcast for it but like mental illness is such a weird term right because it's like i'm not ill <laughs> i'm not bad i don't feel bad it's not ill
0: and newer term that i'm hearing a lot more i mean maybe you'll like this more but neurodivergent
1: Yeah, I mean, it it sounds like a mouthful, but yeah, so she's neurodivergent, right? Which I totally get because I have a lot of that stuff, right? I I take the stuff for depression and anxiety, and it it took a long time to get there. It's not just an easy road of like, here, take a pill. Now you feel better. Like,
0: unlike John, we're very pro therapy here
1: yeah it's pro therapy pro psychiatry for me i'm i it's it's great but one of the things that kimmy freaking nailed is that kimmy lives in her apartment and she has everything her way it's very neat very organized and it's during the pandemic so not only, and she's been she's been traumatized before. She was sexually assaulted before. So she's sheltered. She doesn't want to go out into the world because of what happened to her. But also she doesn't want to go out into the world because there's a pandemic. There's all this crazy stuff going on. So when she finally does have to go into the office where Kimmy is, because she's working from home, like where the, her Kimmy boss is to talk about the recording because she's being brushed off. The moment she steps outside, Steven Soderbergh, till this point, has been very calm with the camera. It's Mm -hmm. very still because Kimmy has a very still, controlled life. The moment she steps outside, it becomes like Sam Raimi, Evil Dead. The camera, every single time she turns around a corner, the camera starts from like 20 feet back and then zooms its way towards her. Every time she's in public and around people, The camera becomes frantic, hectic. It puts pressure on her. It makes her feel even more anxious. It just, it so cinematically drives home what it feels like to go outside with anxiety to the point where like, she is completely situationally aware of everyone on the sidewalk around her, of all the cars around her, of like her in complete surrounding because she's completely on guard. And I have that same kind of like complete constant situational awareness. However, my complete constant situational awareness comes from more of a Seinfeld, Larry David kind of observational comedy, like rules of so- where we live in a society. We have rules. Like you can't, you know, you can't take. 20 samples free samples at the ice cream shop you you get a couple and then you move on you know like there's rules you walk on the right side of the sidewalk just like you drive on the right side of the road you know we have rules but uh but yeah it's a it's a great movie um it's 90 minutes steven soderbergh zoe kravitz it's it's just like a solid rainy sunday kind of uh no one it's your favorite one of your favorite things the woman is crazy because no one believes her, even though she's right. Yep. Yeah. And it, it was very Michael Clayton-esque in its sort of corporate yeah. espionage. Like, the way the hitmen act isn't stylized. They they act like real hitmen in the, the sense of, like, they're just normal guys. It's just guys a job. Who are, yeah, who are good at killing because they just look normal. They don't do it for fun. So, Kimmy. Kimmy's a, a good movie. You sold me. How about you? What's your love bite?
0: I got two. So number one, according to our theme, I'm going to recommend another wedding movie. So last week I mentioned my big fat Greek wedding. This week I want to recommend to you a little movie called Muriel's Wedding. And Muriel's Wedding is directed by friend of the podcast, pj hogan who also directed another wedding movie my best friend's wedding oh. and so where my best friend's wedding had a bunch of needle drops of Dion warwick music muriel's wedding is all about abba so many abba songs it stars tony collette and I would say that Muriel's wedding, although it does feature a little bit of romance in it, it's more of a comedy and it's more of a story about friendship and self love. Uh, And it's a, it's a, it's a star making role for Tony Collette. So I would highly, highly recommend watching it. If you like my best friend's wedding, if you like Tony Collette, I mean, who knows, maybe we'll do a Tony Collette episode in the future and we'll yeah. throw in Muriel's Wedding in there. Uh, but yeah, very good movie if you haven't seen it. Also very Australian. Uh, so I, oh. I I think that it's a, it's a really, it's just a really good movie. Uh, and yeah, also wedding themed. And then my second recommendation. So I, of course, when I get into a video game, it becomes my entire life. Uh, those of you who have listened to this podcast have seen me through my Fire Emblem phase and my Dragon Quest phase. And now we are entering the Hades era. Uh, Hades is a pretty well known game at this point. I think it came out in 2018, but I'm a slow gamer. So I'm still, I'm, I'm just getting to it. I would highly recommend Hades. It is a roguelite which means that each time you run through the game and die, you go all the way back to the beginning. But one of the things that makes that really cool in Hades is there is a continuous ongoing story. So every time you die, you learn more about Hades. You learn more about the gods, both the Olympians and the Thonic gods that inhabit Hades. And it has a really awesome story. If you're a Greek mythology nerd like me, then you're just going to love every single character design for all of the gods and uh, figures of Greek mythology. It's just, it's super cool. Also the game has just really great music. It kind of reminds me of Diablo two, which if you ever played Diablo two had this really cool guitar score Uh, And then so does Hades. So I would highly recommend it. Also, I will say that even though this is a game that is very hard to play, like one of the hardest games I've played because I prefer turn-based RPGs, it does have something called God Mode. So if you're the kind of gamer who likes to play games for the story and you don't necessarily want to play a game that's super hard... Don't let that dissuade you from doing Hades. I feel like all the time, especially with um, female gamers, I meet I meet gamers or, or girls who are like, oh, well, oh, it's just too hard or like, I don't think I'm good enough at video games to play this or that. And it's not true. You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to be some kind of, I don't know, League of Legends, esports master to play a video game and enjoy it for the story. Uh so yeah, give Hades a shot. Highly. Well,
1: one of the one of the most satisfying things about that genre of game is that not only do you have the permadeath so you start over fresh mm-hmm. each time, but you have a series of incremental upgrades. So like right. each time you get a different weapon and then maybe you get that weapon again, but because you used it it's upgraded and you get different powers every time. And so
0: um. It get, yeah it gets progressively easier like for a long time I was getting beat by the first boss just over and over again and now I'm unstoppable she's easy yeah. for me I mentioned uh, but uh-oh. yeah I, I just I, I always feel like it's worth it to put in there like you don't have to be great at video games to enjoy them and I feel like that is a barrier for a lot of people which I wish didn't exist, but there's a lot of gatekeeping in gaming.
1: There is. A lot of people who are just hoity-toity about the difficulty modes, like, no, it should just be the one, and it's hard, and either you get the game because you like hard games, or man, like, whatever, go away. But um, the, the thing about the roguelike genre is that it feels good to make that small progress. Because, like, Enter the Gungeon, I, I mentioned Enter the Gungeon as a love bite once. I mentioned when I did it as a love bite i didn't think i was ever gonna even beat the game i was terrible at the game but now that i remember I that it, i i can semi-regularly beat the boss you know what i mean and do a successful mm-hmm. run it's just there's something so satisfying about having that incremental progression that it's addictive
0: Oh, yeah. I I could not agree with you more. Like we're going to get off this recording and I'm probably going to go back to playing Hades and I'm probably going to die again. But, you know, that's uh, I was going to say that's life, but not really. You you don't you don't usually get like 30 runs at this life thing. But in Hades, you do. So Kimmy, Muriel's wedding and Hades, get to it all right well that's all for today folks sign us off big daddy mars um is, uh, is there what do you
1: quote? what should i say is there any quote from from hatchet for the honeymoon is, is there oh. anything that he says uh oh, oh, oh um what does he say a psychopath not a, a psychotic paranoiac paranoid. Okay, yeah. Um okay, ask me again.
0: How so big daddy Mars, how would you say you're a Paranoic? Uh I I would say I'm
1: a I'm a paranoid <laughs>